Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dr. Eric Petty. This is the 65 Movement Godcast. And today I want to talk about the top three things not to do when your loved one is sick. Um, and, you know, most of you guys, if you've been following the 65 Movement, you understand that uh, my goal is to help you age without getting old. Um, in a lot of ways, I want to help you age without getting sick. I want to help you age uh, and, and just be successful at aging. But inevitably, people are going to get sick. Um, I, I, I'd like to catch everybody when they're in their 40s and tell them all of the pitfalls that are coming as they uh, enter their 60s and hit age 65. But ultimately, you know, you can't catch everybody. So if you are hearing of the 65 movement for the first time and you happen to be a little bit late and you have a sick loved one, a sick friend, a sick grandma, a sick parent, sick cousin, whoever, um, I want you to take in this information, but I also want you to go back and look at all of the many podcasts and videos that I've done about preventing these things from happening. But let's not hold it up too long. Number three. Number three is the worst thing you can do when someone is sick or someone comes down with an illness is wait on that person hand and foot. Now, I know the, the emotional uh, response is usually this person's sick. Um, I'm going to do as much as I can to help them. I'm going to do as much as I can for them. Um, so, you know, I'll see a lot of patients who are dealing with illnesses or had a heart attack or congestive heart failure, um, exacerbation, cancer, whatever it may be. And their loved ones are trying to get everything for them. They won't let them get up to get a drink of water. They bring the water to them. They won't let them get up to prepare any food. They bring the food to them. They won't even let them pull the covers onto themselves. They pull the covers on for them. And um, I, it brings me to a, the definition of the word metabolism. Um, metabolism is basically the way our body keeps itself alive. It's the way our body um, moves uh, and processes so that we can stay alive. And when we stay completely still and have no activity, it slows down our metabolism. It slows down our circulation. Um, so when you have someone who's sick, and I'm not talking about everything, you got to listen to your physician or, you know, especially people who've had surgery. Sometimes rest is what a person needs. But oftentimes rest is the thing that we've convinced ourselves that a person needs. And even if a person needs rest, it doesn't mean they shouldn't move at all. You know, if I don't move and I don't have my blood circulating, it slows my metabolism. It makes it harder for that disease to process through my body. It makes it harder for me to get through um, whatever illness I'm suffering from. So the worst thing we can do is just say, I'm going to do everything for this person. I'm not even going to think on it. I'm just going to, if they need this, I'll get it. If they need that, I'll get it. Most diseases and illnesses and conditions benefit from exercise. That's the reason why you'll see a physical therapist order on a person who has congestive heart failure, a person who just had surgery, a person who has a has cancer, a person who has a GI tract issue. Almost every single person who goes into the hospital with a condition is going to have physical therapy consulted. And the biggest reason is we need these people to move. Okay? So don't do everything for them. That's that's number 3. Number two, um, and this is really the one that inspired this video. Uh, I have a patient right now with colorectal cancer who happens to be age 63. 
Um, and I probably mentioned this more times than I, than I realized, but my grandma died from colorectal, colorectal cancer at the age of 63. So all types of alarms and bells and feelings go off when I see this guy um, and I see his age and I see his diagnosis and then when I see his status. Um, but this video came about because uh, we were talking about nutrition and he was focused, like most people are, on just eating something. A lot of times your medical team will be like, well, you just got to get in calories. So this guy talked about how he was able to eat a whole meal of baby back ribs and some other foods, some, you know, soul food type stuff that somebody bought him. To, to go on top of that, I saw another patient with colorectal cancer and it was baby back rib, ribs and mac and cheese. And I was like, man, this is just like, this is hitting me in my face. We have to, number two is do not bring these sick people acidic foods. Um, colorectal cancer is probably the best example, but this spreads out to other illnesses, diseases, and conditions. We got to think about how the person got the disease. You know, if I'm talking colorectal cancer, colorectal cancer or colon cancer, how most people might look at it, is primarily a nutrition disease. It's primarily based on what we eat, what we digest, and how our colon is able to process that food. That's how colon cancer starts, from eating the wrong foods that sit in your colon too long, can't be digested, and then they genetically mutate inside your body to cause cancer to start. Ironically, these two patients that I'm thinking of were putting the exact foods that are most harmful to their colon in their body while they're trying to get over colon cancer. Now this guy had, um, uh, I think he had a piece of his colon cut out and he had chemo and you know, right now he's in remission. But as I told him, you know, my grandma and most of the other cancer patients, especially colon cancer patients, they generally don't get colon cancer and then die immediately. They generally get colon cancer, have a procedure to cut out a part of their colon, have chemotherapy, go into remission, and then the colon cancer comes right back because they don't change their habits. Because while they're sick, people are bringing them things like pot roasts, baby back ribs, hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken, lasagna, all types of casseroles with cheese and stuff like that in it. All of those foods I just mentioned are very high in acidity. That is giving that cancer the perfect environment to breed and thrive and become worse. Not to mention, it's just harder food to digest. When you cut out a piece of someone's colon, it means that you have effectively uh, diminished their digestive system. So when you have someone who has a diminished digestive system, you want to give them foods that are easier to digest, not foods that are harder to digest. And it's not an argument on what foods are harder to digest. Proteins take more energy and more effort for your body to digest. So when you're bringing people steak and pork chops and ribs and stuff like that, you're doing them a disservice when they're dealing with cancer in general, but you're definitely doing them a disservice when they're dealing with colon cancer. So take the time to really think about the disease and what foods and, and things like that have made this disease come about and bring them foods that make sense. Uh, an easy way is you can ask me or another easy way is whatever the disease or condition your loved one has, look for who has the lowest rate of that disease in this world. So if you want to look up who which countries have the least colon cancer and I don't know what it is, but let's just throw it out there and say maybe it's Japan. 
let's bring them the food the Japanese people eat because that's the reason why they don't have colon cancer because they're eating different foods. Like just do a little research. Let's not be emotional and give these people these comfort foods that are the reason why they're in the situation they're in. Even if you're bringing it for the family, um, if a person comes up with colon cancer, you have to assume to some extent that their children might have a genetic predisposition for colon cancer. So even if the, per the, the patient, um, the, the, the person who's ill, isn't the one you're bringing the food for, do you really wanna feed these children the same foods that got mom or dad sick? Like, we, we really have to think about that. You can, as you can probably tell, I'm a little bit passionate about number two. Um, because I, I see it every day. I see, I see people, I see neighbors bringing over food for people who are sick, giving them the exact thing they don't need. A person who's had a heart attack or has some type of, uh, had a stent or had open heart surgery, and you're bringing these people cheesy stuff like lasagna. That's not what they need. They need foods that are high in pH. They need fruits, they need vegetables. Maybe instead of bringing pork chops and ribs, bring them some alkaline water. Bring them a superfood like a blue, a, a bucket of blueberries or blackberries. We really have to do better in this. So that's number two. Number one um, for me, and it always ends up being a spiritual thing when it comes to, to, to the top of my list on just about everything. Number one is don't just sit and pray and be faithful. Okay. I, I want you to pray. I want you to have faith in God when these people become ill or these people uh, have certain conditions. Um, that's a very important thing. But the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. Um, if you want to be helpful to your loved one who is ill or suffering from something, pray for them, have faith that God will heal them, but then do some work. Do some studying on what the condition is they have. Do some 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 independent study on what are the things that can help this get better. Don't just tell them the same thing their doctor told them. Don't just regurgitate what their doctor told them, tell them to take their pills and do this and that. Do a little bit of extra work and say, well, how do other people, how do other countries, how do other populations who aren't dealing with this illness so often, how do they deal with this illness? Um, it kind of goes back to the food thing. Look at different places that aren't dealing with the issue your loved one has and say, how do they live and why don't they have what we have? Don't lean on the fact that it's your genetics or it's that person's genetics that caused them to have that disease. Genetics don't cause diseases. Habits and actions do. So look at the other habits and actions of people who don't suffer from the condition your loved one has and try to learn about that and bring those habits and actions to your loved one and say, hey, maybe we can try this. Hey, maybe we can try this to help you get better. We have to stop saying, oh, I'm just going to give it all to God and God is going to just heal you. You know, I, I God gives us free will and God tells us we have to work. We have to do it. He will set a path for us. He has a plan and a purpose for us, but we still have to walk in the direction that he wants us to walk. And sometimes when people get ill and people get sick, nobody wants to do any walking. Everybody just wants to be at the bedside 
on their knees, holding hands, praying, but we have to do the work. So we cannot exclusively depend on prayer and faith to heal our loved ones. We have to do the work. We have to do the research. Um, you know, a lot of these cultures, instead of bringing food to these sick people, they bring them things like herbs and teas, you know, that, that will help cleanse their body. Um, but we sit and we bring big, giant um, pot roasts and, and all these things like that. We have to really do the work and understand the disease. Understand the etiology of the disease that your loved one has. I mean, I think that's the least we can do for someone after we get off our knees from praying, let's at least understand where the disease comes from. Let's understand the, the common things that most people have um, who have this disease. So if we do that, we can come to our loved ones with education on what, you know, where does colon cancer come from? How does it start? Not just the low hanging fruit of, well, my mom had it, your mom had it, your dad had it, and you're just unlucky. Let's really dig into it and say, how does this disease start? How does heart disease start? What, what is the building block for heart disease? You know, let's get some information on what can we do to have immediate effects on heart disease? Where does diabetes come from? Not the low hanging fruit of, you know, you get diabetes when you eat too much sugar or when, you, when you, your sugar is too high because diabetes doesn't start with sugar. I challenge anyone who has a loved one who has diabetes to actually look at the etiology of diabetes, type two diabetes, and tell that loved one, how did you get diabetes? What is the mechanism? What organs have to fail um, in order for you to get diabetes? And I'll give you a hint. It starts with the liver. It continues on to the pancreas. It continues on to insulin and then you get diabetes, but it doesn't really start with how much sugar you eat. That's not the primary thing, but you'd be surprised how many people are dying and struggling with diabetes and they got all these family members around them that are praying for them and talking about God healing them, but they don't take the time to understand diabetes. They don't under, they don't take the time to understand the, the etiology of the disease. And that is, a, that is a prime example of us just being faithful and prayerful, but not doing any work. And faith without works is dead. And I would, I would even go a step further, and I, I don't know if uh, faith without works is dead is in the Bible. Um, I would go a step further and say prayer without works is dead. You know, if I pray for a million bucks or I pray for this new car or I pray for all of these things to happen, but then I just sit here in this chair and do nothing, how do you expect God to answer those prayers? You know, you have to get up after you pray and do something. So prayer and faith is dead if you don't do the work. Um, so let's just recap. Number three, we don't want to wait on our loved one's hand and foot when they're ill or when they have a condition. Um, most conditions require that they move, that they exercise. In most cases, that's going to help them heal faster and better. Number two, we do not want to bring acidic foods to people who are ill, people who are struggling with disease. We have to remember that uh, lowering the pH in the body through food is going to make disease thrive and multiply and hiring the pH through alkaline foods is usually going to help fight off disease and illness. And then number one, we cannot rest with faith and prayer as our only uh, intervention. 
faith and prayer without works is dead. So we have to do the work. We have to do the work to understand what the disease and illness is. And then we have to do the work to help our loved ones get over whatever the disease and illness is. Um, that's all I got for you guys. If you have a loved one who is struggling with something and you want a little bit of a shortcut or you just wanted somebody to point you in the right direction, just shoot me an email, drpetty65 at gmail.com. You spell out the doctor, last name Petty, P-E-T-T-Y, the number 65 at gmail.com. Um, shout me out um, and I'll point you in the right direction. I, if I don't know the answer off the top of my head, I'll do the research or at least point you in the right direction of the research so, so, so we can get you in the right direction so you can do the right things. Because I don't want to just tell you the wrong things to do, but hopefully if you've listened to this, you understand some of the right things to do by your family members who are ill. Um, until I talk to y'all next time, I want y'all to check out the 65 movement on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, you got thou shalt eat your way out back here, 65 back here. Uh, you can get those anywhere. You can get them at 65book.com. You can also get them on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles and all that stuff. I talk about a lot of these, a lot of the right things to do in both of these books. Um, but if you know if you're not into reading like that, let's just talk about it. Let's stop being emotional. Let's stop just jumping and buying people food, comfort foods, and having them lay down and do nothing, and telling them let's hold hands and pray, and let's go to the next level and really help our loved ones. And then once we get them out of whatever situation they're in, let's focus on prevention. That's really what the 65 movement is about. It's helping you age without getting old and preventing the trials and tribulations that come with age 65 and beyond. We really have all the tools and knowledge and wisdom to do that through the thousands and thousands of senior citizens that I've worked with and even the hundreds of senior citizens that you probably have um, at your disposal. So let's use that. Let's prevent ourselves from going through um, these troubling times and, and having cancers and heart diseases and diabetes and Alzheimer's and dementia. We really can prevent all of these things if we just do the work. I'm here to help you do the work. So hopefully you'll join me. All right. Until I talk to y'all again, God bless.